You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. So John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, meaning to be lost or destroyed or killed, but have eternal, meaning unending life, meaning the life of God, not just normal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So just going to give a, a few just kind of look at the verse and a few things may be obvious but need to be said that God loves the whole world. God loves the world, everyone in the world. The world, is, the world here is a collective of people. Other places in the New Testament, the, world, the word world means like the system of the world or the evil in the world. Like when it says in, John wrote that too, and it says in 1 John, um, do not love the world, it says. <laughs> Don't love the world. This says God so loved the world, but it's, it's talking about two different ideas. When God looks at the world here, he's seeing every human being who's ever lived. In John, in, in the first John in the letter, uh, the writer's talking about this, the evil of the world, the systems of the world that break and abuse people. And he says, don't love that. Don't love the things of the world. Love people, though. For God so loves the world, loved the world, he loves every single person. I'm kind of stopping here for a second to make a point that's maybe obvious, and that's that God loves everyone. Everyone you know, everyone you don't love, all of them, God loves them. God loves you. God loves the world, and therefore, he gave his only son. So the way that God loves compels him to do something about it. How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that God loves the world? It's that he gave something away. Something, his one and only son, meaning something that's extremely precious to him. Something that's the, I mean, it's kind of assumed in the verse, the best thing he could give, he gave. Why? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. What is love? Greg Mitchell writes that love, more than a feeling or an action, love is a motive of valuing others over self. It's not that love's not a feeling, and it's not that love's not an action. Even in the verse, love causes God to act. But that the reason that God sends Jesus is because of this thing called love, which is a motive, a thing of the heart, which always values others over self. This is really key to get, that love always values others over self. So God is love. We know that too from John in other places. John says that God is love. Love is something he feels toward the whole world and he's compelled to sacrifice what's most valuable to him and give it to you and I. Why? Apparently, whether we believe it or not, God believes that without his love compelling him to give us Jesus, the thing that's worth the most to him, we will perish and we will never experience this thing called true life. God so desperately wants people to experience life unending that he's willing to sacrifice the best thing he has so people can. And John, if we didn't get it, John just clarifies, for, I'm telling you, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. God loves the world. God wants to save the world. God does not want to condemn the world. He loves the world. Therefore, he sent what's most special to him. This is... uh, 
such a simple, simple verse. But it's the center of what we mean by the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus, or the good news, is, is much more than this. It's a very long story it's, that starts from, from the first page of the Bible to the last. It's from the beginning of human history or the earth's history to, the, to whatever the end means or is. But this is kind of the center of it. And that it's an extremely simple center that God loves you so much that he wants to give you a gift. And that gift is himself. And that gift, to give it to you, means that he's had to sacrifice everything himself. That's the center of what we mean. So as I'm reflecting on this for myself, uh, kind of getting ahead of myself here, but imagine for a moment, go back, maybe you already don't believe this, but go back for a minute and just imagine first that there is a God. So if you want, go back to not believing for a second and then imagine that there's a God, but you know nothing of him. There is a God and he's very big and he created everything we see and he created you. Let's just imagine it's true. And he knows you. He's here right now, and he knows you, and he sees whether you ever felt him or, or noticed or believed or not. He's there. He knows you. He's noticed you. He sees you. And on top of that, he actually exists again, and he loves you, whether you've ever known or not. Let's just assume it's true. And he loves you. And because he loves you, he's been compelled, whether you've known it or not, to take himself, his son, what's most valuable to him, whether you've known it or not, he sacrificed it to give you something that you're missing, even if you didn't know you were missing it, and that's life. And all he wants to do now is for you to receive it. And he wants to kind of confirm to you that he doesn't want to condemn you, but he wants to just give you a gift. That's almost too simple, almost sounds too good, but that's the message that we're talking about. I'm often uh, tempted to believe that whatever we call Christianity or all that we're doing here, it's not actually good news. What does it matter? It's not actually that good. And it's things like this, that when you really just stop for a minute, it's just, a good, it's just good news. What if there is a God, and what if that God is real and wants to love you and doesn't want to condemn you and loves everyone? And you could know him, and you could even, if, whether you believe it or not yet, experience something called salvation and experience something called life without end. And what life without end means is something that's free of condemnation without end. It's good. So the question, though, is, let's just say it's all true. How do you receive that? How do we receive that? I didn't even say what we're doing here. Love is a two-part series that's about God's love and, let me just read it to you, exploring God's mission of love and our invitation to join him. Okay, God's mission of love and our invitation to join him. So how do we receive love from God? This is an extremely big question. I think if you try to, to solve this question is to solve a big part of life for you, I think. How do you receive God's love? This is beyond like cognition. It's beyond believing God loves you. How do you receive it? How do you feel it? How do you experience it? The verse tells us that to receive God's love is to believe in him. To believe means to have faith. The word here for believe means to have faith or to trust. It's all the same word. To have faith, Philip Yancey writes, faith means trusting in advance. This is really helpful for me. What's it mean to have faith? It just means to trust somebody in advance. It means to trust them before something's happened or hasn't happened. That's when you know it's faith, which is why it's extremely difficult. 
But it says, this is why the verse is simple but difficult, like a lot of what we talk about. To have faith in Jesus unlocks eternal life for you. Eternal life means life after you die continues, but it also means life now. In fact, the word life here in John is not, uh, there's multiple words for life that John can use in his language. And he uses a, a Greek word called zoe, which means the life of God. It's as if we're living normal life uh, and Above that kind of life, there is another experience of life that often people don't experience. And that's Zoe, the life of God, which is better than normal life. Zoe does not just mean after I die, I will continue to have life, although that's actually good. It's kind of gotten a bad rap, but that seems pretty good to me. Before that, though, it means that as I trust Jesus, as I have this thing called faith, I will begin to experience the life of God now. And what that does is it brings this thing called peace into your life, and it brings patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. So all the fruit of the Spirit, if you know that, which is the fruit of God, and God is love. So when we receive the love of God, we receive all of that now. That's why it's not just for later. It's for, it's for living a full life now. So, first little thing. Will we place our trust in Jesus? This is something that we must do for the, for the first time, and it's something we must do every day, twice a day, three times a day. It's something you must continue to do to place your trust in Jesus. The reason it's difficult is because it's hard to trust. The, the problem is, though, we do trust and we do have faith. We all have faith in things. It's not that you need to get faith for the first time. It's just that your faith is already in something. It's already directed towards something. I trust in advance myself whether I have proven myself to be trustworthy to myself or not, I still trust myself. Or I trust my bank account or my job or my health or whatever. And the question is for, for today, for, for this verse, can you place that trust in Jesus, especially for the meaning of life? Can you place your trust in him in advance instead of yourself? And this is why it's difficult because it's very difficult to do that. Which is why to have faith, although it's simple, requires something often called surrender. So if you think, okay, that's what, trust, that's what faith is, to trust in advance. Okay, but then how do I trust? How do I do that? I think often the easiest way to trust is not to try to trust, but is to just give up every other form of trust. To leave yourself empty-handed so that you have no other option. And if you leave yourself no other option, you will find it easier to just trust. Again, that sounds very zen, but that's where it's going. Imagine this. I already said that. The Father sends Jesus to us as a gift, okay? Which is why life is only about, if you want to make it really simple, life is just about receiving that gift. Which is why it's a lifetime, because it's difficult. But it's also simple enough that you can do it today. To receive Jesus as a gift. So, do you receive him? Which means, do you trust him? Trusting is always a risk, okay? So when I was thinking about, like, what is trust like? What is faith like in my life? The only idea I had was that, for me, faith feels like uh, when I wake up in the morning and my alarm goes off, and there's a moment of doubt right there, very strong. And it sounds like you're very tired. You could for sure, I don't know if anybody would, would understand this, you could sleep longer, and in fact, there's a fear 
If you don't sleep longer, you're going to be so tired later. There's no point, even though last night it made total sense to wake up at this time. It made complete sense to wake up. Now that it's time to take the step, I have all kinds of thoughts about how, no, if I sleep a bit longer, it will actually be better. Even the last night I knew if I didn't sleep longer, it would be better. And there's this moment. So what's required in the moment is for me to trust. That although I feel extremely tired right now, even in five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm going to be awake. And I'm going to be very happy that I'm awake. And then two hours later, I'm going to be extremely happy that I woke up early. So this is maybe, I don't know about you. I was, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, that's me lately. But I for sure feel like people are like, no, I'd still rather be in bed. But, but maybe you get the point. And that's that in the moment, it requires that I trust the future that it's going to be good for me to do this. It doesn't make sense. Everything in me feels like it doesn't make sense. And I've chosen the other quite a few times. And so to trust means to say it's actually, even though parts of me don't even believe it. I know enough, which is why it's surrendering, which means the way that you surrender to is by failing often. I know that sleeping in doesn't really work well either. So trust. So also faith is not about figuring everything out. This is also why it's difficult. It's not bad to figure things out. It's not, bless you, it's not wrong to think, but to trust in advance means to give up a certain level of your ideas about how things work, which is also why it's difficult. To give up understanding, to give up knowing, means surrendering all of that and just trusting. So once we've been called to Jesus, once we begin to trust him, I'm just going to leave it there for a second. Once we begin to trust him, something else happens. There's something else that Jesus says to us. And the reason I'm just using these two verses right now is because this is a theme throughout the Bible. It's a theme throughout the New Testament, which is, it kind of means sometimes it's not found in one verse often. It's seen through many of them, and this is kind of two easy places to show it. 17 chapters go by of Jesus' life, his ministry. And he says this to his disciples near the end of his life. Simple verse, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, with what we just read, in the same way that the Father sent me, so God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, in the exact same way, Jesus says, I'm sending you, and who he's talking to there are his disciples, his followers, men and women surrounding him. And at the same time, we know because Jesus says three chapters earlier that he's praying for you, And I, he's not just praying for the people that are there, but it's kind of inherent in the logic of what he's saying, that this is for everybody who will follow him. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So remember, God is sending Jesus. Why? Because he's compelled by love. Jesus, in the same way, compelled by love, is sending you and I. What's he doing? What's he sending us to do? He's not sending us to condemn the world. Okay, so that's a no-no. Okay, that's not what we're doing. We, we can't condemn the world. You can't condemn people. Now, if you do, it has nothing to do with Christianity. Okay, so you're not condemning the world. What are, you, what are you doing? You are sharing God's love. God's love is his motivation to sacrifice himself. That almost sounds crazy, but this is what love does to a person, real, true love. It, it's willing to sacrifice the most precious thing for the good of the other person, regardless of who the other person is, actually. 
when love reaches its full kind of measure, it doesn't matter who the person is as long as they're a person. His life for us so that we could enter into a relationship with Jesus and, has, and have life. The mission is that simple. What we're sent to do is that simple. Compelled by love, we're sent to show the love of God to people, to invite them to receive a gift, to trust, to experience true life now and forever. A life of love is a life of mission. I'm going to keep saying this now a few times before we end. A life of love is a life of mission. A life of love is actually a life of mission. And a life of mission is actually a life of love. Meaning, mission is not an obligation. When I say mission, I mean a whole bunch of stuff. But that is simply the center of it, communicating the love of God to people. Communicating it, showing it, speaking it. It's all kinds of things. It's very diverse, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But it's that. It's communicating the love of God in Jesus to people. That is not an obligation. Not, at least not in the negative sense of that word where you don't want to do something, but you have to do it anyway. It's not fear. It's not actually shouldn't be fearful. And it's not, and it doesn't produce weariness. And it doesn't produce an unhealthy inner sense of fatigue. It's okay to be tired from doing something, but there's an inner tiredness that's not healthy. Mission doesn't do that. So I'm talking about a bunch of different things today around love and mission, but this is one that I think some of us need to hear that to do mission, to be active, if it's mission, should not make you weary. It should not put fear in you. And it should not make you feel obligated. In that, pro- in that moment, the problem is not mission. The problem, the problem is whatever you're calling mission. If we feel that at any time, it's probably because we have forgotten John 3.16. And that's that the mission is directed at me and you. Okay, so the the mission is always directed at you first. You're sent by Jesus because Jesus was sent to you. And it's very easy when you follow Jesus for a while to forget about the first part. You say, I'm sent by Jesus to do things. And then I begin doing things, forgetting the motivation, forgetting the fact that I am the first recipient. This is what taking a long walk is about, by the way. I'm the first recipient of the love of God. It does not mean I don't do other things, which we also do. It is not is an excuse to not do anything else, to make life about me. In fact, when I'm truly receiving love, I will always be compelled to do mission. The mission is always directed at you first. God loves you, he loves me, and he doesn't need us to do anything. Even John 20, 21, he doesn't need you to do anything. That's not what it means. That's not what it's about. He doesn't need you to. He just longs for you to experience something called love and something called mission. He longs for you to experience it because it will be life to you. It will be good for you. The thing that God feels, I feel this, the thing that God feels when he's compelled by love to sacrifice himself for us, I think he wants us to feel that same thing. The thing that he feels that pushed him to send Jesus is the thing that God desires us to feel as well. So what does it mean to be sent? Let's just assume you get that. What does it mean to be sent? What does it mean to be on mission? How do I actually do that? It simply means, most simply means, to accept what he's saying, to accept a lifestyle of being sent. 
I'm not solving what you do yet because that's not the hard part, actually. I know you think it's a hard part. I don't think it's the hard part. The hard part is accepting that this is my life. Accepting that Jesus is sending me, which looks like this. It looks like being fully present where I'm at and loving the people around me in the name of Jesus, meaning loving them in a way that shows them in a moment and over time that God loves them and that they can receive a gift and know him too. That, it doesn't matter where you are or what you do, even though that's part of what we're about here is being intentional about that. It's not the biggest deal. The biggest deal is living a lifestyle of mission, living a lifestyle of being sent. The, the main reason why I'm living, what I'm doing, what my purpose is, what my motivation is. After that, then it gets a bit easier to find a place to do that because they're everywhere. We can simplify mission like this, if it's there. We can, you can simplify mission or being sent in your own life by just asking this question every day. Who else needs to know that God loves them? Who else, God, needs to know that you love them? It's going to get very simple to define your mission. Just keep asking, who else needs to know? Who else needs to know? And then what can you do for them? Maybe you need to do something for them today. Maybe you need to say something to them. Maybe you need to tell them that. What can you do today? Plus, uh, in addition to this, we're always actually on mission, just like we always have faith. We're always on mission. We're always living a life, even if it feels entirely unmotivated and not purposeful. You have a purpose. You're doing something with your time and your days and your thoughts. You're motivated towards something. This, the mission of God, is about realigning your mission, your sense of calling, your sense of purpose to just being sent, letting God direct your steps, uh, being overcome by his motivation and his mission and his purpose, which is compelled by love to help people find life again through Jesus. That's what he wants to do. Mission, because we started talking about love, right? And God's mission. Mission, all it is, is love expressed with words and actions. Love expressed with words and actions. That's all it means to do mission. It's to take the love that's supposedly inside and see if it compels you. I say see because if it doesn't, it might not be love. If you do mission and there's no love, I don't know if that's there. No. If you do mission, if you feel like you do do this stuff, but you don't feel a lot of love, it's not actually mission. You're just doing things. And if you feel like you have love, of God, like you're receiving love of God, you're doing these things, but you don't do any mission. You don't love anyone else. It's not love. I don't know what you're doing on your walk, but it's not receiving God's love. So love is mission. Mission is love. We're here right now, by the way, if you're, if you follow Jesus, I'd say if you're here at all, if you follow Jesus, you follow Jesus because somebody said yes to being sent. I mean, whether it was like extremely intentional where they came up to you and said, I want to tell you that God loves you and here's how you can know that. Or if it was not super intentional, meaning you saw it in someone's life and that was like a, that was like a spark that made you start looking into things about Jesus. Whatever it was, a person was involved somewhere along the line and that person accepted being sent. That's how it works. The two passages uh, to kind of start wrapping it up are really about two different calls, okay? The message is about two calls, two things. We're all called to Jesus 
and we're all have a calling from Jesus. We're all called to Jesus and we're all sent by Jesus, all of us. And it's always both. It's never one. We're invited to receive the gift of life with Jesus and then to say yes by being sent by Jesus into the world. What's beautiful about that, by the way, is once you get past, it's not about obligation. It's not about that. So what is it about? Is it's actually that God, for some reason, has a lot of faith in himself or you or something because he wants everybody to play a part. He wants everybody to have the opportunity, the privilege to living a life that really matters in, within the life that you live, your personality, your perspective, your gifts, your talents, all of it. Within that, he wants to, to communicate his love through you. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. It can look different for different people. So most simply, what we do is we say yes. It's also a type of faith, by the way, because you don't know what's coming. <laughs> to say yes, to choose, to trust. By the way, often I think we stop. We don't choose to trust, especially for the first time, because we're not sure we trust enough. We're not sure we fully trust. It only takes like a mustard seed of trust for it to be enough. I barely trust you, God is enough for God. Okay, so if you want to start following Jesus, it's enough. I've been considering for my own life this idea of, of if you've ever heard, it said like this contemplation and action, that every human life should have contemplation and action in it. And I've been thinking about that because in my life often has been lacking this side of contemplation, meaning a life of prayer, a life of quiet a life of solitude when it's necessary, a life of unplugging and letting go and resting, being with God. I've been thinking about that a lot. But what I've found, actually, as I've given myself to more of that in the last month or so, that equally, to give yourself to contemplation but not to action, it will not, you will not do well. You won't be a full person. You won't have joy. There's actually something about both of these things together that are required. And so what, what we usually talk about that as, as is receiving and responding. When we don't do both these things, we begin to wilt. We begin to die slowly. And we can't actually receive from God by only receiving. It doesn't work like that. It's this, it's this symbiotic relationship between receiving things from God and responding or receiving love from God and loving other people. I'm going to make a little aside for a second because I think that what we're talking about today and Elena's speaking next week, what we're talking about these two weeks is extremely important for us as individuals, but it's also important for Jubilee as a community right now. Recently, uh, if you know, because we keep saying it, and Nathan said it the last couple weeks about checking out this website and talking about vision, we're about holistic transformation, but recently we've been refocusing and imagining what is our long-term goal here. We relaunched as a church uh, in October of 2016, and now that we've, we've come to this kind of the beginning of summer, wherever, yeah, beginning of summer, isn't it? Um, we really felt like it's time to think about what's the long-term thing. We, we did all this, this energy into just relaunching as a church. What's our long-term goal here? Uh, we exist to do something, not just to be a church. Although that's not bad to just be, but we also exist to do something. And what is that? And we call it holistic transformation, but, which means we exist to see all things change from how they presently are. I'm sure you're tired of hearing that, to how God created them to be. But then how do you do that? 
because that's big. That is our mission, and it's big for a reason. The mission's big enough, so it's big enough for anyone, or for everyone. But it's small enough, it can be specific, specific enough that it's for anyone. I'd say it again, but I might screw it up again. Things become transformed when they come into contact with love, or when they come into contact with God, because God is love. When they come into contact with him, things begin to change and transform. As we continue to pursue the mission of holistic transformation, which we've been doing, we wanna, what we're doing is we want to help people to find an authentic relationship with God that changes their life, and then we want to help them to be empowered to live a life of mission with other people. It's just what we're talking about today in a thousand different ways. We want that to be the case for every single person. We've called the way we do that, those communities of people that you would live life on mission with, we've called those Jubilee communities. Some of us are a part of them, some of us are not, that's okay, but we've called them that. Now we've been discerning, what's the next step? We started one, then we did two, and then we said, what is our long-term goal? And our long-term goal was that Jubilee communities would work toward holistic transformation. And what we wanna do, which we will continue to do, is always continue to grow always continue to change, always continue to update what we do if what we're doing is not working as well, because really what we're doing is extremely difficult, what we say we're doing. To work for the transformation of everything is difficult, which means we're gonna continue to grow, continue to change, continue to update what we're doing. I'm just talking as a church for a second. One of the things that we wanna do, I'll say this first. This is one thing that we inherently believe as Jubilee. When a committed group of followers of Jesus, okay, get this part, when a committed group of followers of Jesus share the good news, the gospel, share it with each other, people around them, as a spiritual family, meaning they really are becoming family together, and they do all that for transformation, for holistic transformation, meaning sharing the good news with people, helping people find life, working to end injustice in the community, working toward transformation in a specific place. When a group of people do that, they are the church. They are a church, we would even say. This, this kind of like bothers our normal understanding of what church looks like, like what we're doing at the moment. But this is what we believe. When that happens, that's the church. It's most fully the church because they're sharing good news, they're spiritual family, and it's holistic transformation. That's what, you, that's what church means. A group of people doing that, bringing the love of God into the community as a community. Meaning, what we believe the church is, is first and foremost, it's micro. Not meaning it's always a small group of people, could be a big group of people, but it's micro meaning it doesn't necessarily have to have rows of chairs, a person speaking from a front, a band, a website, a budget, signs that you pull up and hook. It doesn't have to have those things. And maybe that sounds silly, but that's our imagination of what a church is. We do those things because we find they're helpful at this point to this other part, which is, what I'm going to say right now, which is multiplying Jubilee communities. Sorry, not everything's prepared before this, which is multiplying those communities. So we went from one to two, and now we stopped. And we said, we're going, to make some, we're going to make some updates and changes to make sure that we actually can work toward more transformation. And one of the very most simple changes we're making, which you'll, I'm saying it now because you'll start hearing it so you know what's going on. One of the most simple things we're doing is we're changing the name which might not seem like a big deal. We're changing the name from Jubilee Communities, not the church, Jubilee Communities to Micro Churches. The reason that we're doing that is very simple, and it's just to help continue to push forward part of what this means, which is saying what we do in a micro church, what a micro church does, sharing the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation is our whole point. It's not that this moment doesn't matter. We think it's important, which is why we do it, which is why we spend money on it, which is why we come here and do it. 
We think it's important. But for us, if we're not working for transformation out in the community, as communities, well, then we're not really doing what, we, what we're made to do. And so because of that, uh, to that end, we're making that change. When, when I say then that we exist for micro churches, what all I mean, and even if you're not a part of one of those, it's okay. But what that means is to be a part of them is that Jubilee exists to inspire micro churches and to, and to inspire their leaders and to inspire their core members and to empower them to start or to multiply and to support them as they go. This might not make total sense for you, but it's just for you to know that Jubilee does more than this, right? And in fact, what we want to see is that all the other things that exist outside of this is this mission that we're encouraging and incubating and multiplying, growing, so that the good news leaves O'Sullivan and goes into more and more into the open door and into the lives of artists in the city and in the lives of immigrants in our city and in the lives of all whole bunch of other people that we don't know yet. We dream of seeing every person that comes to Jubilee on a Sunday or somebody who comes into the life of a microchurch to be radically changed and empowered to be an active part of that community, to change the city, to be in a part of the city that needs it most. This is why we do this. It's actually very simple. We just believe that everyone in the world is called to Jesus. Everyone's called to Jesus, and everybody is called to Jesus is also sent by him. Everybody's sent by Jesus, not professional pastors, not by him too, but not just a few people, but everybody. So what we talk about when we talk about Jubilee is we just continue to figure out who we are is that we're a church of churches, of micro churches. Of, they might be small, they might be big, but they're working for transformation in the community. We're a network of micro churches planted among the people Jesus is calling us to and found in places of great social and spiritual need. I'm saying part of this on faith because we're doing this to a small degree. But true to what I'm saying is what we're doing right now matters completely. What, what you're doing right now in the community, in small ways and big ways, matters completely whether we ever do anything else or not. It matters enough already. So I'm just saying this to say that's already who we are and it's who we are becoming. Now, to be, to come back to the sermon, to be in a microchurch, to lead a microchurch, to be a core member of a microchurch does not mean in necessarily that you'll even be on mission. So this is not like the how-to. It doesn't mean you'll be on mission. To be on mission is to live a lifestyle of being sent. And you can do that without being in a microchurch. Even I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> you can do it without being in one. The only reason we have microchurches is because it supports that kind of life. You can't do a life of mission on your own, really not long-term and not in a way that's really going to change things. So you got to do it with other people and, you, and it's only going to work well with other people when it's really family and the gospel's actually the thing at the center of it and you're working together for transformation. That's why we have microchurches, not because we have to. It says nowhere in the Bible to plant microchurches. It says to love God and love other people. It says that you're sent. They always do that together, though, and so that's why we do it together. To be on mission is to live a lifestyle of being sent, a purposeful, intentional love toward the people that God has sent you to, and this is as simple as receiving and responding. You guys can come forward. We're just going to end. Uh, there's one thing. As, I was, as we took a moment and sat and talked about the verse on the screen, there's something that kind of came to me that I hadn't before, uh, and that's that what I hear today when it says, as the Father is sending me, so I'm sending you, what I heard in that moment was, the difference, it seemed to me at the moment, was that Jesus apparently wasn't in the world, at least not as a human being, 
And then he was, but I'm already in the world. So it's not exactly the same. That's just what I was thinking about. It's not exactly the same. And what I heard God say back to me was something like the verse, if you know it, uh, I'm calling you to be in the world, but not of it. Is that actually, I think many of us, mission means maybe just this. We're not actually in the world. You haven't been sent into the world yet. And that can mean many different things. I mean, for you, it can mean you've kind of existed in a Christian bubble and you've never actually been sent to the world or you, your life is just about yourself. It's not about anyone else. And these are not like obligations because actually the way to get over that is to receive love. And you know it's love when it's working, when it's sending you out, when it's motivating you to, to sacrifice yourself. And so just in conclusion, John 3.16 tells us what God is like. God is love. He is not condemnation. It's actually good news. It's actually better than it sounds. It's actually true. He is love, and he's loved you, and he's loved me so much that he's been willing to sacrifice himself for us. However it works, God's beyond time. So in fact, God is like making a sacrifice for you right now. God, I mean, however it works, however not being in time works probably means something like God's sacrificing everything for you at every moment. The historical Jesus, the Jesus that actually lived, existed for you and me. That's a crazy thought. He came on earth in the first century for you, for Michael, for Nathan, maybe for a few other people. I'm just kidding. For everyone. He existed for you. He stands in human history as a gift, as a picture of what God is like, which is God decided to reveal himself as love for some reason, maybe because he's love. He existed, to reveal, he existed for that reason, to reveal God to us and to offer himself to us as a gift, receive him as a gift. John 20, 21 tells us that Jesus is now doing the same thing with us, everyone. And if you have not started following Jesus yet, the minute that you follow Jesus, Jesus is saying to you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. It's not about cleaning yourself up first. It's, it always goes one and then two, one and then two. It's like a beat of a heart. In the very same way that God sent Jesus, Jesus is now sending us. And it's as simple as just accepting that and being open to that and trusting that and walking forward in that. Mission is not about being better than other people or about being right and others are wrong, which is often what people feel like when they talk about mission. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Actually, what you're telling people is not that you have it right and they have it wrong. You're telling that you're telling them that you found out, someone told you, that God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. You've begun to trust him and that has begun to change your life. And that God has given you a purposeful mission in life to love other people, whatever that looks like for you. And all you're telling them is they can have that too. In fact, God just wants to tell them that he wants to send them. I mean, even before, for a moment, before, yeah, God loves you, which is actually an important piece, but God wants to send you. But to be sent, you need to be loved. God wants to send us to heal the world. Love is the mission, and the mission is to love. If it's not love, it's not mission. And if you're not on a mission, it's not love. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.